Well, good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. So, and this is Leanne Farley. Leanne uh, leads worship up here. Sometimes you'll see her up here. And her husband, Mike, was in the last service with your three children. How old are they again? And... Uh, eight, six, and four. Okay, so anytime mm-hmm. you see Leanne up here, that means Mike has somehow heard it eight, mm-hmm. six, and four and gotten to church. <laughs> yeah. They had shoes on and pants yeah. on, so that's good. Mm-hmm. They got them here, that all works fine. So uh, Leanne is also a pediatrician at St. Luke's, mm-hmm. got it right, in yep. Cedar Rapids. <laughs> and um, I'd like for you to get to know some of the people you see up leading us in worship. And in particular today, this morning, we're going to talk about the Bible and reading the Bible and how the Bible can really help us in our day-to-day lives. So I just thought, Leanne didn't know about this till about mm, 8.45 this morning that she was doing this. I can throw her one curveball here, she said, so here's her curveball. But um, I was going to have Leanne just talk about how does the Bible help her in her day-to-day life as a mom and as a pediatrician. So there you go. Um, well, I was just thinking of how when I was growing up, you know, every morning I would see my dad um, with his Bible sitting there reading it, and it was just kind of a every single morning I knew where he, I, I could find him, you know, and it was usually really early, and that's where he would be, and that just had a profound impact on me just growing up, but it's not like you even talked about it. I just kind of, I witnessed that, and I saw that that's what he was doing, so thankfully I tend to be a little bit of a morning person, so um, for me that's my time really to be with God as I get up um, pretty early, really early sometimes to kind of beat my kids before they get up, um, and just spend that time in the Word, and it doesn't always happen. I don't want to make it sound like I always manage to do this, you know, things happen. But um, but yeah, but when I when I can get up and really spend that time in the Word, it makes a big difference in my day. Um, I just uh, I feel like you know reading the Word kind of sets the stage for my day in terms of um, helping me with my interactions with. Um, other people, you know, in my job, I interact with a lot of people, and some of those interactions are really good, and some of them are really hard, Um, and then even with my kids, I think, like, some of those interactions are good, and some are really hard, (laughs) so I feel like the Bible just kind of helps me have a right relationship with myself, and then also with his people, you know, and how he wants me to interact with them, and how I can show his love to people that I, that I see every day, and, um, and I think that's, that's probably the, the best kind of day-to-day thing that, that the Word does for me and being in the Word really does for me is how it helps me to, to set my day on the right path and um, just help me to be close to Him and to others. So. Great job. Again, Thanks. please give it up for Leanne. So, yeah, so what we're doing this fall is we're in a series called The DNA of Parkview. We're really looking at the traits of a disciple. What does it look like to be a man or woman, a student who is following Jesus, and you'll notice from, from these traits that there's a verse where Jesus just clearly says, if you do this, then you're my disciple. And you'll see that especially today. Our main passage is, is John 8, verses 31 to 32. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, that would be great. Or if you want to follow along the outline you got in the bulletin when you came in, you could do that too. Now I need to quickly say that now that you hear that the sermon's about reading the Bible or studying the Bible, that you need to immediately just get out of your guilt bunker. Like those of you that are already calling there for cover, just realizing, like, I don't read the Bible that much, or I didn't read the Bible this week, or you hear Leanne say she gets up early every morning. That alone is painful for some of you to think about getting up early in the morning. So can we just, the, the tone of this morning is not guilt and shame. It's not to shove you down into the, the, the guilt bunker today. It's really to call you up. And my, my, my desire, I know God's heart this morning, is that we would be a people that really do connect with Him through His Word, through the Bible. 
And so I know when God calls us to something, he's not going to beat you down. He's going to call you up. So wherever you are this morning, maybe on the 1 to 10 scale, you're like a point one when it comes to knowing the Bible or reading the Bible. And maybe I rarely, I don't know that I've ever run into a Christian that says, man, I am so proud of how I read the Bible and pray. Like, I don't know that any Christian I've ever heard has said that they have arrived. Like, they can't grow in either area, either discipline, okay? So we all have room to be called up today, okay? So that's my tone today. I'm not scouting, looking, eye-rolling at anybody. Like, we're just being called up to be a church that does what Jesus says. And the key verses we're going to hear are John 8, 31 and 32, where Jesus says, um, if you abide in my words, then you are truly my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So that's kind of our main text today. And so that's a really important text for us as followers of Jesus. That's why he said, if you do this, then you're my disciple, because he wants us to be people that listen to him and learn from him. Because when we do, we're going to grow. We're going to talk about that. But I, I'd say it's especially important for us today because of where we live. And some of you have heard this statistic before, but there was a survey done of the most and the least Bible-minded cities in our country. And I was shocked when I saw this list to find that our area is towards the bottom of that. In fact, just to give you perspective, like 100 is the lowest on the, on the scale, the least Bible-minded city was Albany, New York. Then you go to Boston at 99, Providence 98, Cedar Rapids, Iowa City, Waterloo area was at 97, even below Buffalo, Las Vegas, San Francisco, and Hartford, Connecticut. So we live in an area that, that does not understand this book, is not living by this book. In fact, there was an English teacher named Richard Letterer that over the years collected kind of his students' bloopers as they were writing essays, in particular about the Bible. And so some of his favorite ones were some of these statements that his students said, that Adam and Eve were created from an apple tree, and that one of their children, Joan of Ark, was Noah's wife, and that Isaac, I mean, I'm sorry, Jacob, the son of Isaac, stole his brother's birthmark. That would hurt, all right? So, and that Pharaoh forced Hebrew slaves to make bread without straw, that Moses went up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, and that Solomon, one of David's sons, had 500 wives and 500 porcupines. So, and again, if you're not laughing because you don't understand any of that, that you're still welcome here, okay? So, but um, there are just many misconceptions about the Bible for sure. And I would say our area is not just an area where maybe we're more and more biblically illiterate, but I would say we're growing as a country in general at being more and more biblically hostile. Because one, one of the prevailing um, drives in our country today is to be able to express your own individualism, to be whoever you want to be, or to, to live out whatever feelings you have on the inside, whatever desires you have. You should be, you know, the mantra of today is you should be free to express those desires however you want to. And so a book like the Bible is not just an indifferent book, but a book like the Bible begins, an, begins to become an you would think, an enemy to that culture. If this book is going to restrain who I am, who I think I am, how I want to identify, and how I want to live, then this book is not going to be just ignored. It's going to be hated. And so we're even living in that kind of day, too. But yet the reason we as a church cling to this book is that we have a different picture of this book. We see this book as being the very words of God. That, and we have a God who loves us, a God who is communicating truth to us, 
Because, like Jesus said in those verses, he wants to set us free. He wants us to live a life that is truly life. In fact, one of the key verses in these two weeks of studying the Bible together is 2 Timothy 3.16 that says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man, that the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's why we as a people make a big deal of this book, is that it is from God and that he is preparing us and equipping us to do the good things that he's called for us to do. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a few minutes and just, just ask the question, like, why do we trust this book? Like, what are some things that show this is an authoritative book that we should study? And then we're going to look at John 8, 31 and 32. How does a disciple respond to this book? And then what does God do through a disciple who embraces this book? So let me pray, and we'll jump in uh, to this. So, God, I thank you that you are a God that loves us, that you don't leave us on this planet to just try to figure things out on our own or to find our own way, but you're a God who created us in your image. You're a God who loves us, and you want to show us how to live. And so may we be a people that truly hear your words and do what you say. And, and Jesus, may we stand out as your followers. May we put your life on display as we follow your word in, in a society in a culture, in an area that really has, has little understanding of your word. So use us to put your word on display. So teach us now. In your great name we pray, amen. So let's talk for a couple minutes about what makes the Bible unique. So one thing about the Bible compared to any other book, especially any other religious book, is that the Bible makes it clear that this is the word of God. We just read 2 Timothy 3.16 that said, all scripture is inspired by God. That means as the human authors wrote the books of the Bible, they didn't just come up with their own ideas, but they were inspired by, we're told, by the Holy Spirit of God, directed them in what to say. There's other passages in the Bible we could look at that make that direct claim. In fact, as you look through the Old Testament, there's like 3,800 times where the Bible says, and God said, and God said, and God said. So throughout this book, there is the claim that this is not just a normal book. This is not written by human authors, but this is the very word of God. And so you would expect then, well, if that's the case, then um, how did Jesus treat this book? And if you look at the earthly ministry of Jesus, he was all about this book. He defended the Bible. In fact, in Matthew five seventeen, he said, don't think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus upheld the, the Old Testament as the word of God. And then when you look at the life of Jesus, there was a time in Matthew 4 where Jesus went into the wilderness, had no food and water for 40 days, and then Satan came to tempt him. And in three different times, three specific ways, Satan tried to tempt Jesus to sin. And do you know how Jesus fought off the enemy when he tempted him? He quoted the Bible to him. Jesus used the Bible to defend himself against temptation. If Jesus needed to, do you think we should too? So, so Jesus had a very high view, obviously, of the scripture then. You would also expect then, if this is the word of God, there'll be some supernatural elements to this book or, or, or evidences from this book. And there are. Like one example is if you've ever studied biblical prophecy, there are some amazing prophecies that have been made, um, particularly if you want to even just isolate it down to prophecies made about Jesus Christ. 
There were prophecies made seven, eight hundred years before the time of Jesus that predicted where the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, that predicted how the Messiah would die through crucifixion, even though during the time of that prophecy, crucifixion was not a common practice. Some very specific things that if you looked at, that would just really blow you away. That's, a, that's an evidence that this is a supernatural book. Um, another thing that people marvel at about the Bible is how it was written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors um, on three continents in three languages. And yet when you look at the Bible, it speaks with one voice about the big issues that we face. Like, why are we here? How did we get here? What's our biggest problem you know, as a, as a people? What is uh, the solution to our problem as the whole of Scripture ultimately points to Jesus? So the unity of this book is really compelling. You would see other things in this book if this was truly the Word of God, and there's other uh, astonishing things. For example, this is the best-selling book of all time, that this book has been translated into 2,200 different languages, and there's another 500 in the works of translating this book. And so there's so many, again, evidences that just show this isn't a normal book. But I like Charles Spurgeon. He was a famous pastor of about 150, 200 years ago that, that said, uh, you don't defend a lion, you let it out of its cage. So he's talking about the Bible. Like, we could sit here and defend the Bible, defend the Bible, but the way you really defend the Bible is that you let it out of its cage. You read it, you study it, and you put it to practice in your life. And then you watch what God is going to do through this book. You guys, there are, there are so many stories, and even within our church, of people whose lives have been transformed by this book. Uh, there's a man that, uh, there's a group of us that study the Bible together on Tuesday mornings, and he joined us six, seven, eight years ago, and he said, you know what, I haven't read the Bible since I was in confirmation class. It was a long time ago. Like, I think Reagan was president, I think is what he told us. And yet as he joined in and just watched the other guys and how they study the Bible, he started doing it himself. And this man's life has been changed. This summer when Paul mentioned the team that went to China, uh, we had students that came here and lived uh, around us for two weeks. Uh, Lori and I had the privilege of having two of those girls stay in our home. And one of those girls uh, began to follow Jesus just during her two weeks here. And for her, the turning point was the night that she ran into a Chinese man who read the Bible to her in her language. And I'll never forget the night picking them up here and driving home. Uh, her American name was October, because I couldn't remember her Chinese name. And then the other girl's name was Vivian. And so October is the girl whose life was changed this summer by the Bible. And so we were driving home that night, and Vivian said, um, Doug, something happened with October tonight, and she really can't explain it to you. Are you okay if I translate it? And what she basically said was, when she heard the Bible in her own language, it just it touched her heart, and it gave her goosebumps, and it just made her want to know God. A few days after that, October met with Paul and others and gave her life to Jesus. Like, that is so cool. So, um, and my encouragement to you is, if you're kind of skeptical of this book, is to read this book. I would even encourage, read this book in a group of people and put it to practice in your life and just see, just see what God wants to do in your life through this book, all right? So um, that's why we make a big deal of the Bible. It claims to be the word of God and it is very powerful. And so now let's jump into John 8, 31 and 32 and see what Jesus says about how a disciple responds to God's teaching and God's word. 
So John 8, 31, it says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we're going to see three things from just those two short verses. One is, is that a disciple holds to Jesus' teaching. Some of you may have versions of the Bible that say that, and I may slip up because I memorized it in another version that says, um, uh, Jesus said, if you abide in my teaching. So the words hold and abide are kind of synonyms there. And those are ways to describe Jesus. What does a disciple look like? A disciple really lives in, holds to my teaching. They don't just casually read it. They don't ignore it, but they read it and they do it. They hear it and do it. That's what Jesus longs for from his disciples. And so what's really interesting about this chapter is that right before the verses we read in John 8.30, it says that many of the Jews believed in Jesus. And so what we're seeing now is Jesus is saying, okay, if you really believe in me, you're going to hold to my teaching. And something astonishing happens from 8.31 to the end of the chapter. Those people that it said they believed in Jesus at the end of the chapter picked up rocks to kill him. Okay, so these aren't real followers. I'm thinking something's breaking down in their, their alleged commitment to Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, you know what? You know how I can really tell, again, in 830, many believed in Jesus. Now 831 and 32, Jesus says, you know how I can really tell if you really are following me? Is you're going to abide in my teaching. You're going to hold to my teaching. And so what Jesus would long for us, Jesus, what do you want from us if we're to be a church that's really following you? He said, I would want you to be a people that hear and do my word. You abide in my word. Throughout Jesus, throughout the gospels, Jesus would define abiding in his word as hearing and doing. Maybe one of the most famous parts of the gospels that talk about that is the story Jesus told in Matthew 7. So he had just taught the Sermon on the Mount, the longest teaching of Jesus in one spot that we have recorded. And then at the end of that, he told this story. Basically, it's like, okay, here's all I taught you in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this is what I want you to do with it. So here's the story he told. Uh, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat against that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. If you study that story, it's, it's amazing how many things are in common. Okay, we have the same storm, the same wind. We have the same waters rising. We have two builders. We're not told that one was a great builder and the other guy was, like me, a moron when it comes to building. It wasn't like A-team builder, B-team builder. These are two builders. It doesn't say one guy's used brick and another guy's used straw. That's another story, right, and the pigs and stuff. So, but this is like everything was the same. Same storm, same kind of builders. Uh, But the difference was, one, the punchline is, one heard and did. The other one just heard but didn't do what Jesus said. That's the big difference. So what's really interesting, if Jesus was telling this parable today to an audience, you know where that audience would be? It would be in a church. It would be among people who hear his word. Like you would think, oh, the foolish people are those, you know, people that maybe don't go to church or just don't study the Bible. It's like Jesus 
words here are, no, actually, I'm talking to people who they're hearing my words. Like, you might think, oh, that's good enough. I'm just hearing. It's like, no, no, no. I want you to hear and do my words. That's the wise person, and that's the life that is strong. That's the life that bears fruit. That's the life of a disciple. They will hear and do. So that's a big deal to Jesus, not just so we know the Bible, that, but that we do the Bible, okay? So, so a disciple will abide, will hold to Jesus' teaching, and then the next thing Jesus says is that a disciple will know the truth. They will know the truth. And if we dig back into that context in John 8, remember a bunch of people said they believed in him, and then at the end of the chapter, they're throwing rocks at him. They want to. They want to kill him. Okay, so what's going on here? So even though they heard Jesus' teaching, they weren't obeying it, and so now they didn't know the truth. And so here's, here's the lie they were believing. In verse 33, the people kind of pushed back to Jesus and said, we don't need to be set free from anything. We're good. We are descendants of Abraham, is what they said. So just like Abraham was blessed by God, we're his descendants, we're going to be blessed by God. So their identity was resting in, in Abraham and what Abraham did. And they thought, we're just good Jewish people. We're just going to follow the Old Testament teachings. We're going to do our own thing, and then we're good enough. But Jesus loved these guys enough. He didn't just walk away and say, you guys are messed up. Like he pushed back with them. And he said, you guys, if you sin, if you practice sin, then you're really in captivity to that sin. But if you hear my words, you're going to be set free, and you will not die. Like, you're going to have a whole new life. He pushed back in where these guys were relying on their religion and their rules and their connection with Abraham. God is saying, yeah, but if you're in that connection, you still have sin in your life. You're still slaves. Like, my words will set you free. But then Jesus finally said to them, but but you're not going to be set free because you're not hearing what I'm saying. You're not even listening to my words. And so, and so but a true disciple is going to hold on to Jesus' words and then know the truth. And the truth of the Bible, like if you want to just summarize, what's the Bible about? There's a story the Bible tells throughout, throughout from Genesis to Revelation that um, you can think of that story in four parts, that we have been created by God, created to know him, we bear his image. The Bible says that we are all created in his image, and so God created us to know him and to do life with him. But then you look at chapter three at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, that we as a people um, have rejected God. We've believed the lie that God isn't good enough. That we can find our identity in other places, and we don't need uh, him. We don't trust his goodness, and so the Bible calls that sin. So we've all fallen from God and that we have sinned, but yet the next part of the story is that Jesus came. Jesus, fully God, put on skin, became fully man, lived among us, lived a perfect life, and then died for us. So you could put rescue over that next section, that Jesus came to rescue us from our sin and set us free. The Bible says we could not free ourselves from our sin and rebellion, but Jesus came to do that for us and then the next part of that story is restoration. That then Jesus comes and those that he's rescued from sin, he brings them to himself, he changes them, and then unleashes them as a people to live for the good of this world as we follow his teaching and share his love. Like Jesus said, if you want to know the truth about who you are, you need to hold to my teaching because this is what I'm going to teach you. Created in the image of God, we have fallen into sin, but we are more messed up than we could ever imagine but we're more loved than we could ever dream. And that Jesus, out of his love for us, rescued us from sin 
and now restores us back into that relationship with God and then unleashes us as a people to live for the good of this world so that others can see who Jesus is. So, so that's the truth, that when you embrace and hear Jesus' teaching, you will know the truth. And so, um, again, today, and, and we see this in our own lives too, but today we live in a culture that's really trying to write another story. And that story is um, we, can, we can express ourselves however we want to. We can identify ourselves however we want to. I choose this identity. I choose that these desires be expressed. And so, as, as again, as Jesus looks at that, just like he did at this audience, he would say, no, you guys. Like, no, you will not be set free. Those will just lead you into other uh, captivities. You will be enslaved by those identities, by those false narratives. But the truth is we are set free when we see how broken we are uh, in our sin, but yet how loved we are by Jesus who came to set us free. And so that's the, the story. Jesus says, when you embrace my words, then you are truly set free to be who you are and who God created you to be. And so, again, in our midst, there's been several just really cool examples of that. But, and I mentioned these guys a couple weeks ago, but I just come back to them. Um, the story of Alex and Kelly, that some of you knew them, and maybe some of you remember in Easter 2016, they were on our videos where we were having people tell their story of what God's done in their lives. But when they came to Parkview, when somebody invited them, I don't remember how it started, their marriage was on the rocks, that they were just at the bottom. They didn't know where their marriage was going to go. And yet, as some of you came around them, as they began to read the Bible with other people, uh, God, by his grace, put them back together in their relationship with him and then in their relationship with each other. And so that was the story we heard in 2016 as they just celebrated what God had done in their lives. But as that story continued, it was really cool to see Alex and Kelly have a burden for other marriages, realizing where they had been, apart from God and his grace in their lives, their desire was to go and just start helping others. And so they taught classes and met with couples. And uh, there's been at least a couple couples that I've seen, like I knew the last time I saw them, these guys were we're mad at each other, like they're not doing well at all. Then the next time I see them, they're holding hands and they're smiling. Hi, Pastor Doug, how's it going? It's like, what happened? Like, what, what's going on? Oh, I've been meeting with Alex and Kelly. Oh, we've been in Alex's group. And so just really cool to see that in our midst. And again, there's many stories like that we could tell, but that's the story of God, that when you embrace the truth, the truth uh, will, will set you free. And so a disciple holds to the teaching, knows what's true, and then is set free by by the truth. And so um, if I could um, encourage you, like what's a good next step to take out of this morning? It would be, again, no guilt bunkering, right? Get out of there. Like wherever you are today, I would say to begin on your own some kind of, of, of method to just start reading the Bible. And so there's a lot of different ways you could do this, you guys. There's different classes that we're teaching around here that will teach you how to do that. I would say to start with, make sure you've got a good Bible that you can understand the translation. Um, there's some people out in our resource center that could easily just point you to some Bibles that we have today. Like, uh, there's some really good study Bibles. Those are the ones, some people call them cheat Bibles, the cheater Bibles, because they have notes in the bottom. Like, if you get stuck in what you're reading, you look at the cheater note. That's not cheating. That's learning, right? So you're doing fine if you get a cheater Bible, but... but um, to start some kind of rhythm where you're actually just 
reading the Bible, I would encourage you to start in a gospel, one of the stories of the life of Jesus. Um, now, some of you guys do Bible reading plans. If you've ever done one of those, the goal is to get you through the Bible in a year. My most common f- feedback I hear from that, from people, is like that they shipwreck by January 6th, or like they, get just, they bog down in Leviticus with all the names that they can't read. It's like reading a phone book. So like, don't, like, those help some people, and that's a good thing. But don't feel like if you try one thing and it doesn't work for you, that it must be a you thing. Like, I guess I just can't understand the Bible. You can. Like, there's so many ways you can approach this book. So I'm with you in the getting shipwrecked as soon as I start the in-a-year plan. So I back that off a little bit, and I just pick three different parts of the Bible and read whatever I have time for or whatever um, I can read that day, but I just keep working my way through three different parts of the Bible every day. Then at the end of that, I'll take some notes. What did God say to me? Then I'll pray those things back. If one of them raises a question that I don't know, then I'll go to one of those study kind of books and get some answers. But, but I encourage you on your own, just, just get going in this. Like some people say, well, I'm just not good at reading the Bible. I bet you the things that you are good at, like the hobbies or the skills you have, the first time you tried it, you probably bombed, right? And so it's not a, I can't do this issue, that a lot of times it's more of a, I don't really want to do this issue. It's more of a hunger and a craving issue. But as far as can you read the Bible? Can you get things out of the Bible? You guys, we live, (laughs) we have the least excuse of any human beings ever walked on this planet. Like the Bible's available to us on our phones, online. There's so many versions of the Bible and, and methods available to us. So I think that the honest admission is if we're not reading the Bible, it's more of a craving issue than it is a capacity issue. We just can't, can't do this. Yeah, yeah, I think we could. And so uh, let me encourage you, if you're on that point one or just haven't read it, and today you just sense God is saying, you know what? I want to talk to you. I want to I teach you things that are true. I want to see you set free in your lives. Um, then the first step for you might be to just ask for help. Like, just ask somebody, like, how do you read the Bible? How do you, how do, you um, do this, like, in your week? Like, what's your rhythm? What's your method? But just start asking around. Or, or like I said earlier, get in a group of people that are studying the Bible. So Thomas, who was up here earlier, is one of our pastors that oversees community groups. And we have 45 community groups right now. Maybe that'd be a step for you to get in with a group of people and and just read the Bible with them, all right? So, but Jesus is teaching us clearly, if we're his disciples, we're gonna abide in his truth, and then we will know what's true, and then the truth will set us free. And I just think if we really embrace the story of the Bible, there's three things I could just see us being set free from. I would say the most common things as I'm talking with people as a pastor, their most common struggles probably fit in these three categories. One would be fear and worry. Just, just afraid of so many things, like where's our world going? Uh, or how do I raise my kids in this kind of day? All those kind of, just a lot of fear. And I would say if we really understood the storyline of the Bible, that in our deepest, darkest moment, Jesus came to rescue us because he loves us, uh, and, and, and that he's promised to be with us forever. Like just the basic truths of the gospel story will really set us free from fear. In fact, does God know we struggle with fear? 366 times this book says fear not, okay? So, so if, if fear is an issue on your radar, one thing this 
book will set you free from is fear and worry as you really abide in it. Maybe a couple more things. Um, I just sense uh, there's um, that shame um, and regret can really hold people down. You know, as we look back at our past, maybe things that we did or said, things we didn't do, we should have done. Like people could just be paralyzed with shame. But when you look at the gospel narrative again, that even at our worst, God loved us, that God has forgiven us through the gospel. We're more loved than we would ever know. Like those things are the things that can just relieve us from shame. And we can be a people that can be honest about our struggles because we've taken them to Jesus. And we realize that our identity isn't to just try to be the good people as we can be and impress everybody else with how good we are, but our identity really is in Jesus Christ. In fact, I love that phrase in the New Testament that when you believe that Jesus died for your sins and that you're a sinner and you need what he did for you on the cross, the phrase is that we are now in Christ. Your identity is that you are in Christ. You are his. And so that frees you because you're secure. You're loved by him. You are a child of God through Jesus. And so that frees us to be honest about our struggles and our sin. And that as people hear us being honest, but hear what we do with that sin and taking it to God, that's when we grow. And that's when other people are free to be open up about their battles and their struggles. But as long as we allow shame to dominate in this church, we're all going to just pretend that everything's great. We're just going to come and try to out-pretend each other of how good we are. And that just leads to a bunch of messy stuff. Like, so I heard a pastor say a couple weeks ago that one sign he would see in his church that people are really embracing the gospel is that they would really be open about admitting their own sin to one another. They're not playing the games anymore, but we're being real about who we are, but also being real about the Savior that has forgiven us of that sin. So worry, shame, and the last one would be hopelessness. There's a lot of people just looking for how do we do a marriage or how do we lead a family? How do I live my life? How do I choose a career? Like how do I just, what do I do with my life? And I just love how the Bible is like a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. That the Bible shows us how to live this life. And a great analogy of that is some of you will recognize the name Don Tab. That was the pastor who um, basically discipled Pastor Jeff in his college years down at LSU uh, in Louisiana. He's the man who, who died a few months ago, and we mourned his death. But when he spoke here several years ago, he told us a powerful story I still remember of his son, that Don Tab's son was in Afghanistan leading a, 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 a squadron of men through a, a piece of land, and they were moving forward, and they suddenly realized that they were in the middle of a minefield. And uh, Don Tab's son was just gripped with not only just personal fear, but also for his men. Like he had led them now, and they're suddenly in a minefield. And so they all just froze, and they were just trying to figure out how to get out of here. And as they looked around and studied, they saw there were two tire tracks that led right out of the area. And that was, that was their path out. By the grace of God, they saw those tire tracks, and that's how they escaped out of the minefield. Isn't that a great picture of what the Bible is for us? As we live in a world where you can feel like there's so many missteps you can take that would hurt you or maybe hurt those that you love that are following you, and yet God in his love has shown you how to live your life, how to lead a family, uh, how to lead a marriage, how to have solid relationships right here in his word. And so we'll be set free from hopelessness. So uh, just to wrap up with this, I would encourage you 
again, to, to grab one of our uh, DNA study booklets. There's some really practical tips in here for how to study the Bible. This is really meant to be done in a group context too. So hopefully your community group is doing that or you and your family are going through those studies. Highly encourage you to do that. And so just want to wrap up with this. I just heard this week of a woman who was executed in North Korea uh, recently and her, the crime she committed was that she was distributing Bibles. She was distributing Bibles, and because of that, she was executed. So it's very clear we live in a world today where those who are living for self-expression and just living for their own desires are gonna resist this book because this book is trying to show them another way to live. There are those who, out of their desire to oppress people, are gonna, are gonna um, try to take this book out of people's hands because they know this book will transform people's lives. I think that's what we're seeing in parts of the world. But my question for us this morning is, are we a people who so crave this book, who so crave to hear the story of God that we will humbly uh, and consistently study this book and listen to this book and put this book to practice? Will we be a people who not only will do that alone, but will choose to do that with others, learning from them, sharing our Uh, struggles in applying this book, having them pray for me, will we be a church that comes around this book, not just to hear it and not just to know more about it. Uh, Jesus didn't give us this to make us smarter sinners, right? He gave us this to, uh, to, to be obeyed so that he could set us free to live the life that he died for us to have. Will we be that kind of people? Let me pray. Let me pray for us. In fact, why don't you stand? This is how we're closing our service now. So why don't you stand with me and uh, let me pray for us. So Jesus, as we leave today, I thank you that we are a people uh, who don't leave just kind of wandering, wondering what's this life about? What am I supposed to do? Um, What's the direction for me? I thank you that you're a God who has given us clear instruction and direction from your word. I thank you that you love us enough to do that. And so, Father, may we be a church that responds uh, to your invitation, that we would be a church that knows this book and not just knows it in our heads, but a church that lives this book, that puts it to practice. And so, God, I pray that when we gather in groups throughout the week, that we would be all about understanding this book and putting it to practice and helping each other do that. And God, as we live in a city that doesn't understand this book and some may even uh, hate and resist this book, May we be a people that as we put your words into our lives, that you will be on display, that your life and what you offer will be on display, that people would see generosity, people will see humility, people will see people who truly love their neighbor and the nations. So may we be that kind of church. And so thank you that we leave now as a people uh, ready to be led by you, ready to be taught truth by you, and ready to be set free by you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.